Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, January 13th, 2015. It is great to be on with you today. We have a fantastic show today, folks. And if you did not listen to yesterday's show with Steve Quayle, do so. Go back in the archives on the podcast or the YouTube video. Do listen to the beginning of the show. I have a lot of announcements on that show. I won't repeat them all today, but there's a lot of new changes happening. We have a Friday call-in show that's really exciting So how that show will work, I'll have a guest on for half an hour, and then I'm going to open up the phone line. So I have Pastor David Langford on Friday. We'll play a short break and then come back with wide open phone lines. That's going to be an exciting show. And tomorrow, Russ Dizdar is on. We're going to be getting into Lebensborn. He's going to be coming on for half an hour. And then my good buddy Dave Hodges is coming back tomorrow for half an hour to weigh in on what we've learned since our show with Ammon Bundy on Monday. So that's going to be a very good show. And in the second half today, Dr. Michael Lake is going to stop by with a very timely message as well. So you want to be listening to that. You all know my next guest. It is Miss Carla Butod from the Lone Star State, and she is proof to not mess with Texas. Her and I are working on a little project. It's a prayer book, very powerful prayers, and I think it's a very timely book. So that's going to be exciting. Look for that this spring. She is a powerhouse, this gal. And again, she is a tough little cookie from the Lone Star State. Today's show is called The Prodigal, and where I want to start is here. Over the years, you know, one of the incredible topics that always come up, and of course, as a former family therapist in my old life, I always empathize with this topic because guess what? Our kids, it's a huge topic. And one of the things that's so frustrating is when we're Christians and, you know, our kids don't follow the Lord. In fact, my middle son is a self-proclaimed agnostic, one jump above being a full-grown atheist. My youngest son is leaning towards Scientology. What a nightmare. So my oldest, though, has returned as the prodigal son. He's 25 and just in the fall. He gave his heart to the Lord, got baptized in water, filled with the Holy Ghost. So, praise God. Two more to go, Carla. (laughs) I have a few more to go. (laughs) (laughs) I've struggled with guilt over mistakes in raising my boys. Discipline's always controversial. I gave my son a spanking when he was 10, throwing a fit in a grocery store. And by the time I left, I had a child protective worker and a police officer escorting me to want to investigate my parenting. How dare I paddle my son's bum in public? So it's tough, you know. There's guilt. There's then there's overcompensation. You got a 46 year old son living at home. I mean, come on. So today 
We're talking about Proverbs 22 and the prodigal. So I'm very excited about this because in a world of broken relationships, Carla, isn't it nice that we can have a lesson of deep hope and love? Yes, it is. And there are so many prodigals. And, you know, as I travel around and go to different conferences and things, there are so many parents who raise their children the way they ought to go and they are not going the way they ought to go. I have two that have been prodigals and one who was a righteous son who was seduced into the Mormon religion when he was a sophomore in college, Mm. which, you know, that's not what we sent him to learn at college. But, you know, when they get out on their own, they're introduced to a lot of things and you know, I I didn't like it, but he was an adult, and I told him that I had to give him the same freedom to choose, just like God gave me the freedom to choose. That doesn't mean I've accepted it by any means, and God has shown me that he will come out of this church. And so I am living by faith and not by sight, but those things which God has told me and comforted me with, I hang on to. Well, and isn't it really wonderful, too, that we can see amazing painted illustrations of a father welcoming home his son? I mean, look at this son was doing prior to coming home. Yes. Well, the thing about it is, and, you know, when our children go into rebellion, that's all in the world this was. This young man in Luke 15 grew tired of living under his father's authority. So he goes to the father and asks, for his share of the inheritance, which was pretty pretty galling because normally you don't get your inheritance until after the person dies. So, it, I mean, this is also, like, I see symbolic um, how we receive an inheritance from Jesus even though he's not dead. He is a living God, and he has given us great inheritances. But anyway, the son asks his dad for his inheritance, and he goes out and squanders it. There are some really great points in this story in that, first of all, the dad did not beg the son to stay. He gave him the inheritance and let him go. There is a scripture, Psalm 2710, and it says, When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And that Mm. word forsake is not what we understand it to mean. If I forsake you, that means I forget about you and all of this stuff. No, the word forsake means to let go of. And so that scripture says that when we, when my mother and father let go of me, then the Lord will take me up. So this father was very wise in that he gave the young son what he wanted and let him go. He didn't chase after him. He didn't follow him around. He didn't get on his donkey and go into every city looking for him. No, he let him go. And then he squandered his inheritance. But it was when he began to be in want that he came to himself. And as Americans, people do not want to let go of their children. Think about that. Here you have the prodigal son's father. He didn't try to go looking for him. And sometimes we do more damage, Carla, hanging on, you know, not letting really God do what he needs to work out in our children, hey? Right. 
And the bad thing about it is, is, you know, you mentioned something a while ago about disciplining your son. And, and it's really sad when people look at discipline as abuse. In, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that God chastises those whom he loves. And without chastisement, you're not a son, but a bastard. Discipline equals love to a child. I, I tell my daughter, who has two little children, when your children misbehave, they're really begging you to love them enough to make them behave. And if you don't discipline your children, they grow up not feeling properly loved. And so if we hang on to our children, let's say our child goes into rebellion, they're out there doing things they shouldn't do. Let's just say they run out of money. So we run over there and we put some money in their account. Or if they don't have a place to live and we rent them an apartment and we buy them a car and we're paying their car note and we're buying their gas and all their food and everything, well, then where they are in rebellion and God wants to deal with them, when the parent jumps out there and covers them to keep them from be- being in want, then the parents take the hits that really belong to the kids. Parents, you know, just devastated financially, their health, their marriages. I mean, it's it's detrimental. Well, it's not only detrimental, but again, you touched on such an astute point. It really blocks God sometimes. Mm-hmm. We get in God's way of doing what he's doing. And so, you know, you think of Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old... He will not depart from it. Children will take you places you don't want to go. And so over the years, you know, one of the things I've seen, and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty, by the way, for that little, you mentioned a really good thing there, we're paying the rent and we're, we try to help because we justify it. And sometimes I would overcompensate because they'd say, well, mom was a bit of a hardliner when we were little. So you kind of out of guilt compensate, you know, maybe I wasn't a good parent. So maybe I can be now. And I think those trials, we really have to go to the scripture and and get God to illustrate what's going on in our circumstances, because we can really outline a program in our mind for what we want for our kids. And God might have something very different. So there's a lot going on there, isn't there? There is. And you know, whenever I did a study um, it was a, a different teaching, but when I studied the children in the Old Testament, I came to an understanding at w- how God looks at children and when they become adults. And I think I've even mentioned it on this show before. When the children were 20 years old among the Hebrews, they were no longer allowed to go into the uh, temple or the tabernacle with their father's sacrifice at the age of 20 they had to start bringing their own sacrifice for themselves when they were 20 they had to go into the military those that were 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness while those that were under the age of 20 entered into the promised land with Caleb and Joshua so there is a distinct difference between those that are under 20 and those that are 20 and over so that's how I begin to look at when does a child stop being a child? If God says that it's 20 years of age, then I look at it at 20 years of age. <laughs> Don't complicate it, right? Exactly. You know, when your children, as I dealt with the prodigals, you know, God let me know 
that if I'm still trying to parent my children that are over the age of 20 and by trying to give them advice that it's not asked for, then I am casting my pearl before the swine. Over 20, if they come to you for advice, give it. But if they're not asking your advice, stay quiet. Let them learn those lessons in life that they need to learn. That's a hard one, though, isn't it? I can just see people cringing as you were saying. I know. I I heard a man say recently, if you're a good parent, you would be willing to lay your life down for your child. Of course, all of his kids are near 50. Now, my, all of my children are over the age of 20, and I can remember telling my middle son, who went into rebellion at 16 and was in and out of jail, you know, for, for years and years, I'm not even sure it's over with yet. I, told, I remember telling him one day, listen to me, I am not willing to die for you. Jesus Christ already did that. Now go out and work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I mean, it gets to be that way. Even I asked the Lord one day, I read the scripture, that there's a time coming when children will give over their parents to be killed. And I was like, Lord, killed? And we were going through some tough things already. And God said, hasn't he killed the peace in your home? Hasn't he killed your credit? Hasn't he killed your checking account? Hasn't he killed? I said, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. I get it. They, they will. Your children will just turn you over to be killed. Well, my son said one time to me, he said, Mom, do you have a whole bunch of money stored up in an account for me to go to school? And I said, you better get to know the Lord because he's going to be your provider. I'm broke. So I hope you get to know the Lord. He's as your father. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're not the saviors. And that's, yes. and you know what's cool about you and I having three children and I, our oldest boys, what's neat is that now they phone their mamas for prayer. I owe you credit for my oldest son becoming a Christian because actually he said how his life turned around was at Christmas of 2014. He wanted to go to bed listening to something on the podcast, found one of mine, and it was you breaking curses He said that bastard curse and the the firstborn curse, something, he said, Mom, something happened when I was listening to this lady, and uh, I gave my heart to the Lord, so you started a ball rolling with my oldest boy. It's amazing how God works, isn't it? Yes, it is. He he knows exactly how, exactly when, and even exactly who, which I pray all the time for my children, because... You know, I can't always speak those things into my children's lives. So I pray for God to bring someone across their path that they can receive from. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, it doesn't have to be me. I don't care who it is. As long as they, as long as they have that encounter, like Paul on the road to Damascus, that's what I pray for them, a Damascus road experience. Mm, that's good. And you know, when you think about the father remembered the day his son left the family and the young man wanted his portion of inheritance, of course, people know about this to have an independent life, it would create a hardship to divide off his portion earlier than he planned. But the father did it with regret. But knowing it was the only thing that could be done, his son would have to learn the hardest lessons no other way. So watching him go, that's a difficult moment of a 
parent's life, knowing that their their child's not prepared for life, they wouldn't right. listen to them for instruction or wisdom. When would they come back? What's going on? Could the family environment be the same? So it's really a story of a family's journey to reconciliation, though. Yes. Well, there was a, a, another important thing that I wanted to make the point about this young son. Whenever he uh, had thrown away all of his inheritance and he was in want, it says that no man gave unto him. No man. See, what, and that's we feel sorry for him, and so we give, and other people feel sorry for him, and they give. I mean, we've gone through the list of relatives that people thought that I was hard-hearted, and so they would jump in <laughs> and give to him, <laughs> and then they would squander their stuff, you know, trying to help him, and then everybody who's tried to help him has ended up hit in a bad way. And so sometimes we would be doing our children more justice to let them be in want so that they can come to themselves. Well, and let's not forget in that account, it says he traveled to a far country. So distance in a relationship is not always measured by miles. It seems like the distance in this relationship, we're assuming here that, you know, there was some kind of a unresolved, longstanding, perhaps tension between the two that led to this severing of relations. I mean, even I think of that scripture in Amos 3.3, they could no longer walk together. So father-son relationships are beautiful to behold, but they're also very complex at times. So could it be that the son had emotionally maybe left the home long before he walked out the door? Sure. Probably when he went into rebellion, he had already severed himself from the father relationship. Well, the son burned through his money and then he found himself penniless, you know, high living beyond his means or whatever he was doing to reduce him to manual labor. Because when we really see when he, you know, stepped back and saw what he was doing, I mean, I kind of think, you know, all the material enticements available to us today, you know, he burned through all that money. If you think about, you know, these young kids today and costly meals, entertainment, spending probably frivolously. But then when he looked around, he said, you know, even my father's servants eat better than this. Oh, really? Yeah. And that and he became repentant, you know, when he found himself in want and he's thinking about everybody back home and how they're, the servants are eating better than he is. He's tending pigs for Pete's sake. But, you know, it's it's like we think that father-son relationships, mother-daughter relationships, I, I find myself quoting this to people all the time, that Jesus said, you think that I came to bring peace? I came to bring variance or a division between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, and a mother and a daughter-in-law. That, you know, and and I'm I'm living proof that all of those things are true. People say, oh, my, my mother-in-law said, you know, that's biblical. <laughs> it's okay. It's biblical. It says that there's going to be this between the, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. In that account, what really strikes me is it's now reaching to a critical point when he comes to the end of himself. And, you know, he says, I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So mm-hmm. you're right. It really in Luke 15, 18 paints a picture of repentance. But imagine, Carla, 
the moment of humility when he's there at the end of his rope. Mm, yes. Yeah, I've been there. I've been at the end of my rope, not in this, not through rebellion or anything, but just not having the right relationship with God that that I wanted and came to the end of myself. And it was through an encounter with him that that reconciliation took place. And it was life changing. And, and it's meant to be life changing. And when he was repentant, this is what I always love. And I tell young people this, that that are struggling as a prodigal. Listen, you have not gone to so far that God cannot reconcile with you. He's waiting for you, just like the story of the prodigal son. He's not chasing you, but he is waiting for you to turn around, repent, and come to him, and he will receive you with open arms. Well, it's really coming to a place which I think you've really, again, so eloquently said, you're coming to a place where your natural confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. is gone. This is really idolatry, isn't it? Well, it's all idolatry because the thing that causes us to jump out and want to cover our children, we are wanting to be God to them. They are in idolatry looking to the parent instead of looking to God. I mean, God so showed me all of this in in the beginning when I was so heartbroken over my children that were in rebellion. I remember so profoundly one day God said to me, because I was angry with my husband because he would not discipline, God said, stop looking to Mike, to Father Kyle. I will Father Kyle. And he said, Don't you know that I love him more than you even know how to? You love him enough to lay him on my altar. I mean, God is so sweet to comfort us and to strengthen us through all of that if we're looking to him for that help because he he is the greatest father of them all. He knows. That's a good segue because I was just thinking as you were talking earlier about Abraham and Isaac. Mm Mm-hmm. I had just studied, and I think that's why God used that particular illustration, because I had just thoroughly studied the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I was crying. I mean, Kyle had uh, gotten arrested for marijuana. I was, I just was so devastated at what was going on in his life, and I was crying. And, and God said to me, do you love Kyle enough to lay him on my altar and even though that was devastating to me because he was, he was only 16, um, it, it, it comforted me because I knew that Isaac was spared. God provided. And I knew that if God was asking me to lay him on the altar just like he required Abraham to, that, he, that his life was going to be spared. And it has been. He should be dead for all practical purposes. There have been time after time after time that his life could be taken from him, but he is still alive. And I trust God totally with his life. Yeah, but the enemy knows who his mama is, so he's in trouble. Well, and you know what? That's an important factor to remember because through all of this, God has taught me how to address the enemy. When I pray, it's not all just directed toward God. I do commit them to God and I pray to God but you better believe I am turning on my heel and addressing the enemy immediately 
I want you to talk about this because I think this is so important that deliverance piece is, is, a, is a part of this because you remember when you would stand outside the bedroom door and you had newly discovered and you started making those prayers. We can do yes. that, can't we? Absolutely. That's, and I encourage parents of young children to start doing this. And that is, well, of course, the parents need deliverance first. You know, Beelzebub cannot cast out Beelzebub. If you are a rebellious, angry person, you're not going to be able to stand at the door and cast out anger and rebellion if it hasn't been cast out of you. So we can take authority over these spirits in our children and command them to get out in the name of Jesus Christ. It's very powerful. The reaction of the older son is interesting in this because remember the one who stayed and honored his father and worked to build the family business. I mean, he wasn't too thrilled. I imagine in the, you know, that moment, the day the father goes out to that hill and he sees his, his son coming up the road. What a joy uh, and elation he feels. His heart is, it says he ran out to meet him. So that exuberant embrace, both the father and son, the time apart forgotten. But that other brother wasn't too impressed, was he? I was kind of the other brother in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I had two older brothers and they you know, they had their times of giving mom and dad some problems. And because of that, I I so desperately wanted to be the good girl. I wanted to be the good girl. And so when my brother came back as the prodigal, it it was the same thing. Everybody was so joy. Oh, you've already forgotten about this and this. this, this." I didn't forget. (laughs) But, you know, I was that older brother there for a while. So I can totally understand how he feels. But now I understand the father and the prodigal. Yeah, it's easy to be on the receiving end of that. But there's also something else going on here in families that we have to consider in all this. The Bible talks about there will be division in families, especially in these latter days. Yeah, and what we're seeing is a sign of the time. All of these, Second Timothy 3, one says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. What we're seeing is a sign of the time. All of these kids that are in rebellion to their parents and that bastard curse is so much a part of it. And the thing that results in that is that they end up not being interested in the things of God. Why that's important, because you just said that word self, that's a huge piece of this. Again, it goes back to that idolatry, but also goes back to, we did a fantastic show and I'd encourage listeners to go back and listen to Breaking Curses because we can come in with a boatload of generational curses and guess what? It gets defaulted to our children. Amen. So again, I just encourage people to go back and listen to Breaking Curses. That's a very good show. And in the waning moments, Carla, Would you do me and the listeners the honor of doing your very powerful prodigal prayer? Well, if if you're listening and you're a parent and you've been an enabler, ask God to forgive you. Here's just a prayer you can repeat. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for being an enabler. Forgive me for being fearful and not trusting you. Forgive me for trying to be God to my child. I'm asking you to father him or her. I choose today to let go 
of him or her, I choose to get out of the way so that you can take him or her up. Forgive me for making an idol out of my child that caused me to be more loyal to them than to you. Forgive me for causing my child to have arrested development by preventing them from suffering the consequences of their rebellion. I know that you love them more than I know how to, so love them back into your presence, Father. Restore them back to the family of God. Amen and amen. Now, if you're the prodigal, don't wait until you become like the son in the Bible, broke, destitute, hungry, in poverty and lack, bearing no fruit, needing a handout, looking for a handout, and coming to the end of yourself. Repent, change your thinking, humble yourself, cry out to your Heavenly Father, ask Him to forgive you for rebelling against Him, ask Him to take you back, ask Him to restore your life. Listen, God has a life for you, such a good life, you won't be able to believe it. Come back to Him today. He's waiting for you. He's been watching. He will embrace you. He won't turn you away. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up every prodigal son and every prodigal daughter of your saints all over the world. I call on mighty warring angels to go and war in the heavenlies over each of their lives for the battle that's going on for their souls. I bind the strong man over each one and break his power over their lives and command him to loose them in the mighty name of Jesus. I break off them bondage to drugs, alcohol, addictions, self-destructive behaviors, oppression, depression, lawlessness, homosexuality, pornography, perversion, sexual sins, and rebellion. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. I call on Michael the Archangel, according to Daniel 12.1, who stands for the children of thy people to assist in the battle. I bind and break the power of the Antichrist spirit, religious spirits, and the spirit of the prince of the power of the air that works in the children of disobedience. I loose the love of God, the spirit of repentance, salvation, and deliverance upon each prodigal. I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would send your Holy Spirit and ministering angels to begin to minister to them in dreams and visions and woo them back into the kingdom of heaven and the family of God. Mighty godly women come forth in Jesus' name. Mighty godly men come forth in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that everything Satan has brought into their lives for bad, you will turn it around for their good and your glory. I remind you, Satan, that our children have been trained up in the way they should go, and they received the seed of the Word of God, which remains forever. And at some point, they will serve God with all their hearts, and they will be a force to be reckoned with in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you, loose them and let them go in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Carla. What a powerful prayer. Well, folks, you heard it there. And if you want to download this podcast and re-listen to that, you can just be in agreement with Carla for your child your prodigal son in that prayer. Carla, it's always such a pleasure to have you back on the program. I'm so glad you joined us tonight to weigh in on this very important to people's heart topic. And Carla, for the new listeners, please do give out your website. Okay, it's Carla Butod, that's C-A-R-L-A, B is in boy, U-T, 
B-U-T-A-U-D.com, CarlaButad.com. Carla, again, thank you for coming on the program. Do come back and see us soon. Folks, stick around. Back after the break with Dr. Michael Lake. Stick around. Even the unbeliever can be at peace when things are peaceful, but when everything has crashed in upon you and somehow there's this steady, tranquil, confident faith in God that moves you right through that deep, dark valley of your life, and the unbeliever is standing there with curiosity thinking, how do they do that? What is it about her? What, what is it about him? How can they face these things and somehow not be thrown off course and not be forced to detour, not give up their faith, not question and doubt God? Do you want more patience, self-control, joy, or peace? If you've ever wondered how to get those Christian characteristics, you'll want to stay with us for In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley. We'll see today that the Spirit-filled life only happens when we choose to depend totally on the Holy Spirit. Welcome back from the break. My next guest is the highly acclaimed Dr. Michael Lake, and he joins me today to talk about a subject that I've really wanted to get into for a while. I did a show on this several years ago, and I was talking about a very disturbing trend that I see in today's churches, and that is the creeping of occultism, witchcraft, new age, a mishmash of hell has seeped into the church, and I think it bears discussion. And who better to break it down but none other than the renowned Dr. Michael Lake. He is the author of The Shiner Directive, and soon to be my favorite book, but it hasn't come out yet. Dr. Lake, welcome back to the program. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So one of the things that I think is, and I'm seeing it more and more now, I'm going to tell you a little story about last year, I was in the Tri-States area, and so I stopped in at a Christian bookstore, which is a frightening experience if you haven't done it recently. And so I was in this bookstore because I was actually looking for a Smith Wigglesworth devotional. I have one, but I wanted to buy one for a gift. I've had lots of people ask me about it. So I was going to see how many of those she had. She had zero of those, zero King James Bibles. The only thing they had in that store, and this is the biggest store in the Tri-States area. And you know what the number one selling devotional was? Jesus Calling. And if this isn't an eclectic trifecta of terror, I don't know what is. It is so new age. I So I did a show breaking this down, Dr. Michael Lake. And what is your thoughts about this kind of stuff creeping in the church? Well, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, one of the things I, I ran across years ago and uh, had a, one of our students uh, actually ran a bookstore and he discovered one of the major uh, Christian publishers had been bought up by a Chinese company. In, in fact, today, when you buy a Bible, uh, China is now the number one printers of Bibles in the world. That's right. And if you've been paying any attention, the quality of the Bibles that you go and pay good money for are getting less and less and less. Uh, try to find one in real leather that's going to last you a while. It's almost an impossibility. But he, he said that he had you know ordered so many books, and you know most bookstores have to do it on credit through the publisher. And all of a sudden, there were these books on Zenism and all these different things. And he was told by the publisher, if you're going to have credit with us, you must sell these two. And so there, there, has, there has been a wholesale sale out uh, by, by foreign corporations that aren't even Christian, but have begun buying up a lot of our Christian publishing companies. That's why I'm glad I'm 
going with Tom Horn with the ones that I do. I don't have to worry about that kind of thing going on. But I, I think it's also indicative to the biblical illiteracy that we have in the body of Christ today. You know, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 14, and this has been on Paul saying, listen, we have the fivefold ministry uh, in the body of Christ. And many don't know that he actually borrowed a model that had been working for centuries in the synagogue. Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were all offices within the synagogue even before Jesus uh, uh, came to earth. But he said that we may henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And if ever those words were true, it's today. Most men of God are never really adequately trained in ministry anymore. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, too. I'm very aware of it. I, I have went to, you know, I, I go to Bible conferences all the time. A lot of times I'll do special training sessions for ministers. And so, you know, they range from bishops to a guy that's been pastoring a church for a couple of years. I've had to teach them, veteran ministers, some of them pastoring, you know, four or 500 member churches. This is a Strong's Concordance. Wow. This is a lexicon. This is how you use it. And, and even one, this is called a Webster Dictionary. This is how you find out the definitions of the words that you're slinging around in the pulpit. It's horrendous because instead of going to seminary anymore, what they do is they watch Christian television and they mimic whatever they perceive as popular to build a big ministry with. You know, this guy has 10,000 members, so if I preach like him, dress like him, act like him, I'll have 10,000 members too. Imagine how that well that would go over if you were Elisha under the administration of Jezebel and, and Ahab, and only the big boys were the prophets of Baal. How well would have that mentality worked in that day? Well, you know, it's frightening what's going on. And of course, you just touched on so many good points. And what's stunning to me, and actually, if people go to my end time news headlines on weekendvigilante.com, it's not surprising to see one of my new articles there. Pope Francis calls for collaboration with world religion. So you've got this one world Pope, George Bergoglio, by the way, Pope Francis is a name he hijacked from a good old first environmentalist, St. Francis of Assisi. But here you have Pope Francis calling for a dialogue and collaboration amongst the world's religions. And this is Tuesday. So yesterday he's out there and he's calling for the planet's inhabitants to all de declare themselves as believers. Every single, I have broke down so much of this man's mantra. He's Times the Man of the Year. He's a one world pope. He said, you know, you can have confidence in Buddha, confidence in a rabbi, confidence in Allah, or, you know, as a last resort, you could put your faith in Jesus, but we'd prefer Mother Gaia. I mean, that's another religion that's really gaining momentum, too, is this pantheistic pagan death cult of Mother Gaia. So really, the New Age is so seeped in this Jesus Calling devotional. And folks, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, go through it. And first of all, start writing down every time you find the word energy, the word we are all connected. I mean, the New Age terms in this are frightening. So a lot of witchcraft, you have a lot of occult, you have a lot of these circle groups that are joining now in churches, grave sucking, going through the fire, there's people barking like dogs and clucking like chickens and gold dust and people kicking people in the stomach. I mean, where do you start with all this weird doctrine, Michael? 
one of the things we need to realize is that with every generation, there are ebbs and flows to the presence of God, almost kind of like the ocean, how you'll have high tide and low tide, because every generation has got to seek and press into God for themselves. You know, it's like Isaac could not uh, just set on his laurels and rest on that his father Abraham walked with God. There's there's a crucial little bit in the Torah that says that Isaac went and unstopped the wells of his father that the enemies had stopped up and then dug his own wells. I think that shows us that Isaac had to not only do what Abraham had done to make sure those wells, those relationships with God was there, but he had to dig his own. And so with every generation, you know, I'm spirit-filled. I've uh, I've been preaching since I was 13. And I, I have known when the charismatic movement first started, this the sweet presence of God and the true manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But with every generation, God will pull back because the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But what we have forgotten, you know, if, if I asked you, Sheila, you know, what 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 is the earmark of a false prophet? Well, everybody says, well, they'll say something that doesn't come to pass. But the instruction of God doesn't stop there. In Deuteronomy 13, it says, if there arise among you a dreamer or a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and that giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass, Wherefore he shall say, uh, he shall say unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods that ye have not known. Let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken to the words of the prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord God proveth you. In the times when God backs up, it's like, How much do you love me? And this generation have basically proclaimed, We do not love you. We love spiritual manifestations people are talking about states of spiritual ascension, for example, universal consciousness, universal connectivity, different dimensions. What's your take on all that? Well, I'm actually dealing with this in my next book. You know, in, in, in the Shiner Directive, I dealt with that Lucifer has an anointing. In this other book, I actually begin dealing with what fuels the kingdom of darkness. And I call it the iniquity force, that it is a spiritual force that's hyperdimensional that flows from the heart of Lucifer that was found in him when he violently came against Almighty God. And there is a spirituality to it that flows through every false religion on the planet. Just like how there's an anointing from the Holy Spirit and, and God gives true things in his kingdom, the other kingdom mirrors it. And we're in a time that iniquity and the iniquity force are, are, is beginning to be an ascendancy in the earth to prepare the way for the Antichrist. Uh, I did an article for, uh, for Tom Horn with her online magazine taking a look at the restrainer. And when you actually you know, separate all the millions of sermons about what that's about and actually examine the text, the restrainer is iniquity so that the world, both the world and the Antichrist, are ready to be revealed. Interesting. So what we're seeing is a is a rise of this iniquity force and people that don't know the Word of God. And, you know, we, we need to tell your listeners, if you separate the New Testament from the Old Testament, you've taken the entire New Testament out of context. Absolutely. And so we, we have to be diligent students of the Word of God and being able to separate this is God, this is not. We look at, we have, you, you have that book out, it's very, very popular. We have churches that are doing uh, yoga. In, in the church as, as a part of their exercise program. 
that they don't understand that every one of those positions is a prayer to a deity or a or a god, little g from India. Uh, in fact, I'm also writing on the um, the Vril Society out of Germany, and they used yoga, they used uh, mental exercises, all these things to help enable them to tap into the iniquity force. Uh, there, there, there has been this overlying arch within all the occult that if you could ever master the force, and in fact, that's where George Lucas got it. <laughs> uh, it in, in fact, Germany believed that there were actually good sides and bad sides to the force. I mean, long before the, the Star Wars movie came out, this right, is this right. is actually an occultic thing woven into a sci-fi movie that they they use yoga. Uh, they used the ability to be able to um, to become a Reiki master, to, to channel energy flow. We're actually having that going on right now in Arkansas. I got calls from several pastors that they're having Reiki masters coming in for divine healing sessions in oh, Pentecostal churches. Dear Lord, and I'm thinking, are you nuts? You know, you know, I look, I look at great men like Smith Wigglesworth. I remember there was a time in New Zealand. It was New Zealand or Australia. This guy came up to him, was a world famous hypnotist. And Smith Wigglesworth looked at him and says, I bind that power up in the name of Jesus, and you'll never do this again. Six months later, the guy telegraphed him and said, and said uh, I will pay you any amount of money to give me back my power. All of these things are from the other side. And if you're running after yoga, if you're running after this, this collective consciousness, uh, this energy force and everything else, it's setting you up to follow the Antichrist you know, lockstep, just like a good little Nazi, you're going to be following him when he appears. And so you, as you, as you, within yoga or in meditation, as you're doing these things, part of the process and the discipline is enabling that, that serpent that's coiled around the bottom of your spine. Isn't it interesting how this goes back to the, you know, Genesis one and two, three, that you become that tree, literally, that as, as you do these exercises, that serpent will be able to move through the chakras until it enters into the very top chakra that's supposed to be, you know, between your eyes, that third eye. And once you reach that, then you can attain enlightenment. You know, the, the whole concept of the chakras also go, go in line with the serpent within. And so all these exercises and all these things they're bringing into the church is exactly what the Hindu or the Luciferian, the Freemason, all of these that are really serious about their craft. This is what they do to tap into Lucifer's power for illumination. Well, and the frightening part, I remember when I was doing my book, Green Gospel, a couple of things you said really make a lot of sense to me because, of course, we know that Madame Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, she claimed that she had an ascended master that helped her write her 24 volumes of the occult. You've got Helena Blavatsky, you've got, well, Theosophical Society. They were big into that Vril Society, by the way. And Steve Quayle was on talking about the Nazis yesterday demolishing what we think we know about World War II. And it's frightening how connected Hitler was to, now this is interesting, very new age. He was the first environmentalist, really, the first Gaia worshipper, the fecundity of nature, the eugenics. And the Vril Society, interestingly, was linked with the Thule Society. And that was frightening because all these societies and all these players, very demonic players, they were all into ascended masters and penal glands and opening things up. So what's your take on that? The penal gland, they believe, is, is what opens up the part of your brain to where you can see into the spirit realm. 
And it's completely different than the way true prophetic people see. True prophetic people in the body of Christ see because the Holy Spirit has revealed something to them. With the penal gland, they exercise it believing that by opening it up, they're allowed to see into hyperspace. But I really believe that it's a spirit that enters into it, causing them to be able to see. And it's, it's visions from the wrong side. Well, and another trend that's frightening, and uh, actually some military insiders have shared this with me, they do a lot of, in fact, this is one of the precursors, you have to learn how to do remote viewing. To me, that's astral projection. It is. Uh, in fact, I have read a lot of uh, folks that, because you know, there's deception goes along that you can you can astral project, but at the same time, we have had guys supposedly went back in time uh, I was reading one man who says, you know, how, how that those experiences when he was doing it for the government transforms him because he was actually crawling across the dead bodies outside of Auschwitz oh. during World War, you know, World War II. And so they begin postulating, you know, that time travel is possible. Let me tell you something. If time travel was possible, Lucifer would go back and undo the cross. He can't even, he has to move linearly through time just like we do. And although we may be able to maybe technologically view the past, it is unalterable because God set up temporal, the temporal dimension that way for our protection. And I think this kind of ties into it because you mentioned earlier there is a famine in the land for the word of God. But it is it. This bothers me very deeply. So I'm going to share this with you. I'd love you to weigh in on this. Years ago, I used to listen to guys like Copeland, Keith Moore, Kenneth Hagen. Now, I really was a fan of Kenneth E. Hagen. I still have a lot of his material. And something happened to his doctrine because I believe that we are word-faith people. I believe that we have faith in the Word of God. But now it's kind of spun into this God is a magic, wish-granting genie, bestowing cash and cars and jets upon his followers. And so over the holidays, this is something that was so frightening. Over time, some of these people that I've liked they started really promulgating very deceptive doctrines. And so now one of the things he said recently, he said, you know, I can't, I have to travel in a jet. And the reason why is because there's too many demons in those lineups with commercial air and we can't be in our sanctuary. In other words, I can't hear from God in commercial. Isn't that stunning? The lengths they'll now go to justify some of these doctrines. Well, if you're not strong enough in God to be able to fight that, maybe you shouldn't be in ministry in the first place. There is not a church in America, and probably in Canada as well, that isn't doing anything in God, that there have not been witches and warlocks assigned to that church to infiltrate and to, and to get on the boards if they can. And they begin, and uh, I, I have read uh, from people that have come out of the Illuminati, they will go into church and they would begin psychically broadcasting. And, you know, when, when, whenever you move in the prophetic or even preaching, you don't reach up to see, you know, kind of what's in the ether to see if you're going to give a word. It's the, the, the prophets of old were very, very specific. The word of the Lord came to me. They never said, I ran up my antenna to see what the word of the Lord would be. You can actually allow other witches, if they're in your congregation, can begin broadcasting to you. And over time, that pastor will be separated from the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he'll be convinced that that other voice is the Holy Spirit. 
there's this slow moving away from God. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the preachers that you mentioned, I don't necessarily like to name names, but he he preached this one sermon, just went on down the line about these things of Christ. And I'm thinking, that's not in the Word of God. Well, it wasn't. It was in Morals and Dogma. <laughs> Albert Pike? <laughs> Albert Pike. He was preaching Albert Pike. Wow. That is, that is frightening that that's happening. Well, and I guess, again, witchcrafts, incantation, hexes, vexes, these things are real, aren't they, Michael? They are, and I've, you know, even in, in a lot of the ones that touch on Hebraic heritage, and I've taught Hebraic heritage for two decades, but what I've caught a lot of these guys doing, it's like when you really want to sound mysterious, you get into Kabbalah. Well, all Kabbalah is is Babylon wrapped in a Jewish talit. And so, you know, stick with the Word of God. And what I'm hearing from people around the world, Sheila, are people are starving for the Word of God. I, I can't keep up with get, doing videos fast enough or writing fast enough just to meet the demand of the hunger that's out there. Wow, that's incredible. Such a famine. And it's so interesting. The Bible talks about in the last days, many shall depart from the faith and also give heed to seducing spirits. So this is really a culmination of what we're seeing, isn't it? It is. And we're, we're kind of experiencing the same thing we see in Malachi. Do you ever wonder why in the New Testament, instead of having Levites teaching the word we have, rab, you know, rabbis. It's because in Malachi, God used the prophet Malachi to judge the Levites. Now, see if this sounds familiar. God judged them because they started teaching the people what they wanted to hear rather than what they needed to hear. So what I hear you saying, if in these mega churches, it's really the people, I mean, there's people sitting in those pews. It's not all about these false teachers, is it? No, it's not. And, and I, I've actually dealt with some pastors that are pastors of mega churches, and we got into deep theological discussions. And I've had them look at me right in the eye and say, you know, Michael, I know what you're saying is true, but you can't build a mega church preaching that. Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, because that's what it's all about is building a mega church, right, Michael? I, I could care less about building mega churches. What I want to build are some mega believers. Mega believers. I like that. Okay, I'm stealing that, Dr. Michael Lake. That is really good. And you know, which really begs the question, what are people reading out there? And I think that's where it's important to get back to good, solid Bible scriptures. I read the King James. There is frightening Bible translations too. Look at that message Bible. I don't even call that a Bible. I don't know what message that is, but it's that's horrific. From the way the man wrote some things, I kind of wonder if he doesn't have a Masonic background because in the Lord's Prayer, it said, you know, give us, you know, give us a square deal. You know, as above, so below. That's hermetic principle of magic that he put in the Lord's Prayer in the Message Bible. It's Freemason and it's because it, Freemasonry is built on two things, Egyptian sex magic and, and hermetic principle. goes back to uh, Hermes Trismegistus out of Egypt. Frightening. Well, in the waning moments, tell people a little bit about what you do over there and how the brand new listeners, and there's many of them, how they can get in contact with you. Uh, we, we got a lot of things going on. We have Biblical Life College and Seminary, which is designed to train aspirants of the gospel ministry via distance learning. And that's at biblical-life.com. I've also taken all the curriculum that I personally have taught and just made it available to the general public. Uh, simply because there was such a hunger. And that's through Biblical Life Resources, which is found at store.biblical-life.com. 
We also have Kingdom Intelligence Briefing, where we do our own podcasts, and we have our own YouTube channel, and I've got almost 300 one-hour teachings on video so far, and it's at YouTube slash Biblical Life. And if you want to really get deep in the Word and hear some good teaching, solid teaching from the Word of God, that's a great place to go. Well, I got to tell you a favorite story of mine in the in the waning moments. A favorite story of mine. I had you on my program, and I don't think I, I never laughed so hard. I had to mute myself, but it was so true, and yet it just burns in my mind forever. You and I were talking about horror movies and The Exorcist, and the favorite thing you've ever said. You said, "Well, if a true spirit-filled Christian was ever in one of those movies." It wouldn't be a movie long. They'd bind that spirit up in the name of Jesus. Never forgot that. That is a classic line. But that's true, isn't it? If we exercise our power and authority in Jesus Christ, it would be nice if if those demons would say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, that person, fill in the blank I know. But really, people are very powerless right now, aren't they? They are. You can't spend a life drinking Lucifer's Kool-Aid and think that you're going to have the power to stand up against them when you need to. Oh, that's good. I hope that becomes a new household phrase. That's good. Dr. Michael Lake, it's always a privilege to have you on the show. And do come back and see us real soon. Looking forward to it. Folks, that was the one and only Dr. Michael Lake and earlier Miss Carla Butod. Both their bios are on today's bio at Weekend Vigilante. Dot com. Just click on Show Archives and you'll see all their information. I have linked their websites. Tomorrow on the program, we have Russ Dizdar. That's going to be a great show. And Friday, the voice of evangelism, Pastor David Langford joins us. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast today. Good night and God bless. <music>